Today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in John 3.16, as we said a moment ago. Today, I just want to talk with you for a few moments about the subject of God's love. God's love for us. This may seem like a sermon that you don't need to hear. You may be thinking there today, I've heard and know and have had memorized John 3.16 since my earliest of days. Well, I want you to set aside that thinking for a moment, okay? Because I, I probably have never been more excited to preach a sermon. And, and, I, and I have never been more impacted personally by anything I have prepared to preach. And I'm praying this morning that God will impact you the way that he has impacted me today. I, I, I'm asking for God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us in a, in a fresh way this morning. Someone asked me this week, said, why, why would we need to ask, I'm reading the book, actually said, why would we need to ask for the Lord's special outpouring of the Holy Spirit? We have the Holy Spirit within us, right? We do. When we're saved. But we, we can pray for the Lord to pour out His Holy Spirit and, 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 and to, to, to encounter Him in a special way and for Him to do something special among us. And that's what we ask for this morning. That's what I ask for you at and I ask that for me, and I, I hope and pray that you listen to this sermon with that in mind. That even though you may have heard this verse, know this verse, learned this verse, this may have been the first verse you ever memorized for those who have been Christians for a long time. For some of you this morning, you may have never heard this verse, and you just wandered in, and you don't know much about Christianity. That's okay. This is for you, too. But even for those who are the most aged among us and have been Christians for the longest, I pray to God that there be a fresh outpouring of His Holy Spirit upon you today, and I believe that can be the case for you today. <laughs> If you just pay attention and if you come here with an expectation. So many times we walk in with low expectations or no expectations. And we need to walk in every week with high expectations. And asking God to exceed our expectations. And knowing that he can do that and he will do that. He desires to do that. And we should walk in every week with great hope. That is a great expectation for good things. That God is going to do something good. And so let's expect that together this morning. Let's expect that. Let's believe God for that. Let's trust God for that this morning. That he's going to do something new in our life. See, this verse here says, God so loved the world that he gave. We're going to start right there. God so loved that he gave. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute. On what basis did God do this? Have you ever thought about that? On what basis did God love us? Was it because of something we had done? What well, was it because of something that we could potentially do for Him someday? I, what were the circumstances of His decision? To just love us. You know, there was a thief on the cross with Jesus who believed in Jesus and was saved there on the cross. He had a nail through each of His hands. He could do no work for God. He had a nail through both of his feet. He couldn't run errands for the Lord. He couldn't do anything for his salvation. Nothing at all. Christ just extended to him a passport to heaven. And by faith he received it. He did absolutely nothing. Couldn't do nothing for his salvation. He just received it. On what basis did Christ love him? You know, the Bible says to us in Romans 5, 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us 
while we were still sinners. God's ultimate expression of his love was on that cross. He gave his life. He did the work for our salvation right there on the cross. We had absolutely nothing to do with it, with our salvation. Nothing at all. He became a curse. He became a sin. Became sin itself so that we could become a blessing and so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins, that we could have salvation through Him. God loves us so much that He would not leave us the way that we were, sinners. And He died on the cross for our sins. We were born rebels and sinners. He loves us enough to make us children and saints. Children of God Most High and saints. That's God's love for us. Now I want you to think about this for just a minute, what that means for us. First, Jesus demonstrated his love by dying for us while we were defined by our sin. God so loved the world that he gave. On what basis? Was it because of something you did? Something you could potentially do? Something that you might become someday? No. He just chose to love us because of who he is. Now, he did that while we were still defined by the word sin. See, there was a time in your life, if you're a believer today, that you were defined by your sin and you could be called a sinner because it was indicative of your character and who you were. And while you were in that state, while you were in that place, as low as you could go, as far away from God as you could be, in complete rebellion against Him, defined by the things you do in rebellion against Him, He chose to love us and in that love, die for us. Now, second thing that that means for us, if we are believers this morning, is we are no longer defined by our sin. That is no longer who we are. The Bible says that we are now defined by a new word, the word saints. In Christ, we are a saint. We are saved. We are delivered from the consequences of our sin, and we are delivered from the power of sin. It may have been invoked some years ago, and even today in some circles to say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That is bad theology. You see, I am a saint saved by the grace of Christ from being a sinner. Does that mean I never, ever, ever sin? No. My sin no longer defines me. It is not who I am. I have a new nature in Christ. I am a new creature, a new person in Christ. I am no longer defined by the things I do in rebellion against God. I am defined by my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son. That's who I am. That's who I am. But you and I need to understand this. Sinner or saint, God loves each of us infinitely and unconditionally. Because He loved us and died for us while we were still each and every one of us at some point in our life are defined by sin. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So how does God view you at this very moment? If this is true, that God loves us infinitely and unconditionally in this moment, how does He look at you? How does He see you in this very moment? It means God loves you warts and all. It means that that He loves you just as you are this morning. 
It means that he loves you, the unfaithful, the backsliding, the often sinning, the often whining, the often grouchy, the often impatient person that you are. Amen to that. Somebody needs to say thank you. Listen, he loves you just as you are this morning. Just like you walked in here. He's not waiting on you to become something better. He loved you when you were at your worst. He loves you, warts and all. God loves you when you pray. He loves you when you don't pray. He loves you when you read your Bible. He loves you when you don't read your Bible. He loves you when you come to church. He loves you when you sleep in and stay at home. He loves you when you sin. He loves you when you're holy. He loves you when you serve Him. And He loves you when you're selfish with your time and do nothing. God loves you when you think of Him. And He loves you when you ignore Him. He loves you when you hate your brother. He loves you when you love your brother. God loves the prostitute and He loves the chaste. God loves the heterosexual and He loves the homosexual. God loves the glutton. He loves the anorexic. God loves the faithful son and God loves the prodigal son. God loves us all. And God loves us because at the center of His character, He is love. At the center of His character and who He is, He is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in His love. God is love. That does not mean love is God. It means God is love. That is, it is at the root. It is at the center of His character and of His being. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Love is who God is. He must be who He is. He must love. And He does. One of the most difficult things for most people to believe is that a holy God an infinite, eternal God would love them unconditionally. That is one of the most difficult things for a human being to grasp and to actually believe. You may theoretically think it so, and you may mentally give assent to it, but to believe it deep down in your heart and deep down in your soul is something altogether different. You sit down and meditate on the fact that God loves you unconditionally and that God has loved you eternally. Eternally means it never had a beginning. It's just always been. It will never have an end. It will just always be. It will never diminish. It will never fade. It will never ebb and flow. God loves us fiercely. He loves us completely. Paul says he loves us in a way that's incomprehensible and it is always the same. He loves us. He loves us. Right now, regardless of your level of faithfulness, regardless of where you think you are in your walk with God, in your level of goodness, regardless of even if you're a Christian or not this morning, you need to understand that God loves you. He always has. He always will. This verse also goes on and says, Whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever will believe and trust. That's what that word believe really means in the original Greek. Those who have faith in Christ will not perish. Now this means that, that we have been delivered from sin. We have been delivered from our rebellion against God. We have been delivered from the wrath of God that is due us. We have been delivered from hell. We have been delivered from eternal separation from God. We have been delivered from those things because of our belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the payment for our sins. He paid for our sins on the cross. And so we need not perish. We need not go to hell. We need not go to a Christless eternity. We have the opportunity to go to heaven. That's part of what everlasting life is. 
The second thing here is, is that that word eternal life has two meanings. It means a quantity of time and a quality of life. A quality of our time. What Jesus is saying here is that the moment you put your faith in me, you stop perishing. It's not a someday event. Some folks look at this verse and they say, well, I just can't wait for Jesus to return. It's going to be a wonderful day. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'm going to fly away. It's going to be good. It's going to be wonderful. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And those are all true statements. But the joy and the life and eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in Christ. Not someday because you put your faith in Christ. It begins the moment that you put your faith in Christ. You cease to perish the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. God has given us a never-ending life in His Son, but also through His Son, He has given us every blessing for life. I want you to think about this for a minute. We love our children. We discipline our children. We guide our children. We give them every resource, every opportunity at our disposal so that they might become Christians. They might be good people, so they might have great success. Would God ever deny His own children these things? I want you to think about that. You who are parents, you would do anything for your children. You would lay your life down for your children. Christ has laid His life down for us. Would this be for someday, or would it be for today and someday? You see, the moment we cease perishing, and the moment we enter into eternal life, we enter into the life of Christ, we enter into the life of God, and we enter into His strength, and His ability, and all of His resources. And He will provide for all our needs according to His glorious riches. And listen, here, here's the interesting part about this. He wants to do this, He's just waiting for us to ask. Matthew chapter 7 verse 11 says, Jesus speaking here, If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? He's just waiting on you to ask. But we need to ask in faith, believing. God wants to extend His love to us so that we might have the very best life possible. And what is that very best life? That we might enjoy Him and glorify Him. That our life may be filled with joy. Now Jesus never did say that we would have a life free of tribulation, free of trouble. But we can in Christ have a life of joy and a life of peace, shalom, a sense of well-being in all circumstances. That we can have a sense of happiness within based on the promises God has given us. And a contemplation of present things enjoyed that Christ has given us as well as a future promise of things to come. You see, in Christ we can have a life of joy. And in Christ we can have a life of peace. And in Christ we can have a life where all of our needs are met by His resources, but we have to ask for them. Ask and you'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, it will be open. Our entire experience with God, our relationship with Him, and everything we receive from Him otherwise is on the basis of His character and decision to love us. He's just waiting for us to ask. He's not waiting for us to, to become better, to earn it. He's not waiting on us to become good enough to receive it. See, salvation was something that He gave to us while we were still sinners, remember? So on this side of the cross, we're now saints, no longer defined by our sin. He's not waiting on us to become good enough to earn something from Him. 
He's not waiting for us to earn enough spiritual credit so that we can purchase His blessing. Everything is dependent on Christ, folks. Everything is dependent upon Him. Everything. Our salvation and everything else that could be defined as eternal life. Every gift, every blessing is from Him. I, I did not receive my salvation from sin because I was good enough. God just chose to love me and save me. I, I did not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because I'm good enough to receive it. God loves me and chose to give it to me. I do not receive my new nature in Christ, eternal life, heaven, material, financial, emotional, relational, or spiritual blessings because I deserve them. God simply loves me and has chosen to give them to me. He is just waiting on me to declare my dependence upon Him and ask for them. That's what He's waiting for. He's waiting for me to come to Him in faith and ask for Him. Believing and trusting that He loves me and intends to give them to me. To provide for all my needs according to His glorious riches. Amen. He's just waiting. See, too often, folks are, are, are wandering and stumbling around thinking, I'm just not good enough. God's not going to bless me. God's not going to do this. I haven't done what I'm supposed to do. I, I'm, I'm just a mess. And my life's a mess. And they just tumble and stumble around in life, falling flat on their face over and over and over again until they die, missing out on the this part of eternal life. Missing out on the life that is to be had here and now in Christ. Because they've lived their whole life in bondage to this idea that I'm not good enough for God to bless. I have to become better for God to bless me. I have to in some way earn something that God wants to give me. Now let me just add as an addition. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And when you have everlasting life and you know the God of love, your life is defined by that. See, when you preach a message like this, some folks are inspired, and some folks are encouraged, and some folks are set free. And that's a wonderful thing to be set free. It certainly is. But you need to understand this. Your life, if you really are a believer, is going to be changed. And it's going to be defined by love. First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Our relationship with God motivates, enables, and empowers us. Because God loves us, we respond to this love and in turn love Him. Love is expressed by wanting to please Him in all we are and in all that we do. Martin Luther was one of the great reformers. And he came upon a biblical understanding of justification. Now, justification is just simply a theological term that, that defines how we are made in right standing before God. And he realized that it was by God's grace, unmerited faith, poured out to us that we're made right through faith, belief, and trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. This is I've said this morning. Martin Luther came to understand that. He believed that. He began to teach and preach that. And someone came to Martin Luther one day and said, if this is true, what you preach, a person could simply live as he pleases. To which Martin Luther said, indeed. Now what pleases you? See, if you're a believer, what pleases you changes. See, I, I'm not serving God and loving God because I'm afraid. I, I'm not serving God or loving God out of, out of any sense of obligation. I'm loving God and serving God because I love Him. 
And I love him because he first loved me. As someone once said, the person who has been justified by God's grace has a new, higher, and nobler motivation for holiness than shallow, hypocritical self-righteousness or fear that seems to motivate so many religious people today. See, I'm a Christian. I have a new nature. I'm not trying to please God. I am already, in His eyes, pleasing. I'm not trying to earn God's love. I'm not trying to buy God off through my activity. I'm not trying to earn my salvation through good works. I already am saved. And I will be saved because of the grace of God given me through His Son, Jesus Christ, and my faith in Him. He is already pleased with me. He already loves me. I already have all those things. Somebody might say, well, what you do on earth doesn't matter. You can live like the devil and go to heaven. But if you're a true believer in Christ, you don't want to live like the devil. And if you're here this morning living like the devil, thinking that you're saved, you better start asking yourself the question, do I really know Jesus? Do I really know him? Throughout the course of history, even the Apostle Paul himself, when he preached this gospel, he, gospel, he was accused of preaching lawlessness. He was accused of preaching, you can just do whatever you want on earth and go to heaven when you die. And if you want to look at his response, look at Romans chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then in response to this accusation that we can just live like the devil and then go to heaven when we die? What shall we say then in response to this? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? That is, should I just go on living in sin that God might pile more and more and more grace on me and then I'd be saved and go to heaven someday? He said, by no means. The strongest language Paul uses in the New Testament. One theologian said it is about this close to cursing. He said Paul is speaking so strongly and emphatically in the Greek. He says, by no means we have died to sin. How can we live any longer in If you're a believer in Christ, you have died to sin and then raised a new life in Christ. If you know Jesus, you have a new nature, and you don't want to live like the devil. And you love your God so much for loving you that you want to love him as best you can and in every way you can. And the way to do that is to be like him and to serve him and do things that pleases him. Not because of the sense of obligation or needing to earn our salvation, but just simply because he loves us so much. And we love him back. What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is to be in love with Christ. Some of you here this morning may be saying this is just all too good to be true. It's just all too good to be true. Richard done lost his mind. <laughs> Preaching this stuff. Bottom line is, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who are perishing and those who are not perishing. Those who are perishing, who are suffering under their sin, and those who have been forgiven and delivered from their sins and the power of sin are living in Christ's eternal life. The unfortunate thing is that in those two groups, there is a third group. And that is, there is a group of people who have been delivered from their sin and delivered from the power of sin and who are believers in Christ but unfortunately are trying as best they can to mix law and grace like the Galatians did. If you want to know what this will do for you, read the book of Galatians. Paul was pretty frustrated with that church and that group of people. He loved them though. He preached to them. He taught them. He wrote them a letter. 
He did his very best to be gentle with them and to nurse them and to help them into maturity, Christian maturity, spiritual maturity. But what they were doing is, is they, they believed that they had been saved, but they now were trying to mix works in with that grace that they had received Christ through. And, and they were they were mixing works with the grace and creating a legalistic religion. Whereby they were going to please God and be pleasing to God through the things that they did. You see, there is a, a group of people out there who are believers who are mixing law and grace. And that is they, they are trying to create for themselves a religion that has nothing to do with the Bible, really. Whereby they are saved by grace through faith, but then they live the rest of their life and are pleasing or unpleasing to God on the basis of their behavior. And they live their life depressed. They live their life defeated. Paul says that the law produces all kinds of sinful desires within you, and so they, it is a self-defeating kind of thing when you lift up law and try to live according to the law. It produces temptation and desire within you, and it torpedoes you. So there's a whole group of people out there that are trying to follow Christ by the law. So let me just say to you this morning, if that's you, if that is who you are this morning, Jesus loves you just like you are, the Lord's not. Jesus is pleased with you this morning, or it's not. Faithful or unfaithful, sinner or holy, God loves you. But he loves us enough not to leave us today. He saved us. He is saving us. He sanctifies us, cleanses us, and makes us more like his son. So this morning, I want to close today and just say to you, what does it mean to you that God loves you infinitely, eternally, and unconditionally? See, it should be the most exciting thing you've ever heard, and it should be the most liberating news that has ever crossed your mind, that God loves me all the time, and it should be the most motivating thing that you'll ever hear into your ears, that an eternal, holy, infinitely loving God loves you personally. It should move you. It should make you want to run down the aisle and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin if you do not know God, if you do not have a relationship with Him. If you know Jesus as your Savior and you've been living a legalistic kind of lifestyle where you've been approaching God on the basis of your behavior and what you do and don't do, you should this morning just feel the weight lift off your shoulders. And new motivation to follow and obey God based on your love for Him. This should be the most liberating, exhilarating news that you've ever heard. And I'm going to tell you something that is shocking, but true. I, I've been a Christian for most of my life. I have gone through college. I have studied religion. I have gone to seminary and have the degrees to show for it. I have pastored churches for years now. And I'm going to tell you, most people I encounter, almost all people that I encounter in the church are trying to achieve God's favor. They believe that they can only be saved by the grace of God. They realize they can do nothing to pay for their sins. But then they spend the rest of their life trying to earn God's favor and love through what they do. Most preachers I know that's what they do. And most Christians I know, that's what they do. And I've spent a great deal of my life doing that too. Why don't we do that? 
Because we're taught to do that. From the very, very first days of our life. That everything in life is based on what you do. You want something, work hard and achieve it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go out there and get it. And so we take that thinking over into our faith. When you first start understanding this, and this was the thing with me this week, is that I know all of this stuff, and I, I understand all this stuff, but God hit me in a new way with it this week because there were areas and pieces and parts of my life that I realized were performance-based. And I sat right in this room meditating on this and praying and asking the Spirit of God to speak to me. God just sat me down for a while and said, you know, James, I love you. So I know that I've been aware of that for some Know it in the Word of God. It's good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Some help with others love. They start taking me through my mind. Say, you know what, James? I just love you all the time. And when you mess up here, when you mess up there, I still love you. You're just as usable in my hands. Nothing is dependent on you, James. Nothing. Nothing is dependent upon you. What happens at this church is not dependent on you, James. I love you and I love them. That's the same. Revival is not dependent upon you. Not dependent on you. Not dependent on me. Depending on him. See, what God was teaching me this week and telling me, Mr. James, you people don't need to depend on self for some things that you need to let go of. Depending on me. And the more you know I love you, the more you accept that into the deepest parts of your soul, the better you're going to be able to let go of these things if you try to grab hold of The more you understand that I love you, the more you're going to trust me, the more you're going to let go. The more you're going to depend on me. The more faith you're going to build in me. And the more of me that you're going to build. See, God just sat me down there for about a half hour just saying to my soul, I love you. I love you. Finally, after a while of that, I just started getting, I, I just, I just became broken. I just became broken over it because I realized how many different places in my life that I did not realize that I was maybe blind to or maybe just didn't want to see and didn't, didn't want to deal with in my life that I was grabbing hold of, trying to take control, trying to earn things, trying to do things, trying to make things happen. And all the while, what I needed to do is just say, God, thank you so much for loving me. I depend upon you and I ask you to do these things for me and I trust that you will. Just simply because you love me. Not because I'll become good enough, pray enough, do anything else enough. Just because you love me. It's amazing what God does for us, isn't it? We were talking about fasting over here, so go and listen. We fast, we pray, we see God, and He starts to talk to us. <laughs> and then when He starts to talk to us, things start happening. And that's what happened for me, and that's what I I'm just going to close and I'm going to say this. This morning you just need to realize, if you didn't hear anything else today, is that God loves you eternally. There was no beginning to it. There will never be an end. It never fades. It never never comes in and out. It never changes in any way, shape, or form. God loves you fiercely, completely, eternally, and infinitely, just where you are today. And He has given us eternal life, salvation from sin, and He has given us eternal life that it is a quality of living. And if you're not experiencing eternal life this morning, you need to know that the God who loves you has poured His grace out for you, that if you will ask for it, He will give it to you this morning. And if there are areas of your life 
that you have struggled with because you felt like you needed to be better, you needed to earn something from God, you needed to act better, do better, pray more, do something else in order to achieve something so God would bless you and give you something. Let me tell you something this morning. God, by His grace, has already poured it out if you will simply ask for it. That's the key. Dependence upon God, asking for Him to do what He has already determined in His heart to do for us because of His love on us. So this morning, if you are an unbeliever and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, this morning would you come? We're going to have a, a moment where we're going to worship a little more. We're going to, we're going to sing two or three songs. And we're just going to have a time of prayer. Where you can come to the altar, you can come talk to me, you want to grab somebody by the hand and come to the altar and pray, you can do that. You want to come and ask me how you can know Jesus, I'll be, I would love to talk to you. But if you're also a believer this morning and you say, I've been living a life of law and grace. I've been living a legalistic kind of life. And I have not genuinely, <laughs> in my heart, believed that God is unconditionally and infinitely so. Then I'm just going to ask you, just come pray at the altar. Come bow on your face before God. And I would say, finally, if, if you're living like the devil, then this morning you can even come and become a saint. Okay? If you're living like the devil and okay with it, you're not a believer in Christ. You say, well, that's pretty judgmental. I, I don't care if you think that or not. I mean, if you can live like the devil and be okay with it, you're not demonstrating anything. That would say you're a believer in Christ. In fact, I can show you some scriptures that not my judgment is God's, but just say you're not a believer. I can take you to some passages in 1 John that says if you can continue in a lifestyle of sin and be okay with it, you're not a believer in Christ. So if you're living like the devil thinking you're going to go to heaven someday, listen, you need to come and get right with Christ this morning. But wherever you are on that, on that, on that, on that, on that paradigm there, whichever part of this defines you, if you need Jesus this morning, then come do business with and believe he loves you so that you can walk out of here free. Would you do that? Let's, let's, let's stand together. Let's bow together.